Hello and welcome to The Joe Mobley Show. I'm your host, Joe Mobley, and you're listening to the only place in cyberspace where we talk about being conservative. We hit on current events, the politically correct cancel culture, and problems with civil discourse. But most importantly, we discuss what you can do to come out of the conservative closet. The Joe Mobley Show is a new and exciting podcast that airs weekly on Monday mornings. We have a range of controversial topics on deck. Even so, it's important that we hear from you what matters most. Be sure to send questions, comments, and things you'd like to hear discussed to ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. That's ask at thejoemobleyshow.com. To make sure you stay informed on the latest content, be sure to subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to great podcasts. So I, I haven't said this publicly, uh, so but if Uh-oh. you guys if you guys want to hear it, then I'll I'll say oh, you know because they don't ask they don't ask use of force experts. Am I the most expert guy? No, uh, I was I did law enforcement for two years, eleven years military. Uh, I have a master's degree in Homeland Security. I'm pretty authoritative on it. But I, I in my circle, I tell people a pretty compelling case about what happened to George Floyd and why the officer is not going to be found guilty of murder, maybe not even manslaughter. Uh, oh, we agree. Oh, interesting. Yeah. But if, yeah. if you want to hear it, then I'll, I'll let it out one. here for the okay. podcast audience. As a criminal profiler, and the, considering that you do agree um, and aren't going to be on the opposite <laughs> side, and then I have to fight for my professional <laughs> reputation, go ahead. <laughs> I want to hear it because I want to see Uh-oh. if it's the same way I'm thinking on this. So, you know, I, I, I was also a combatives instructor. A, mm. a number of things went down. One, there are medical examiners out there that are saying that George Floyd would have, have died if the police gave him a ticket and let him go about his way. Um, right. You know, so an honest medical professional, don't ask Dr. Fauci, but an honest medical <laughs> professional would, would agree with that statement. But here, let's talk about the tactics, the 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 physical things that went on. Um, what is everyone saying? Why are you putting your knee on this person's neck, back, mm-hmm. shoulder, whatever? So for all of you geniuses out there, when you are exacting an arrest, um, they those tactics are called subject compliance tactics because people under arrest often don't comply. I know. No. I know this really? is shocking news to you guys. It is. So you have to learn joint manipulation. You have to learn locks. You have to learn takedown techniques. You really should be a Brazilian jiu-jitsu practitioner, mm. but that comes down the tax dollars and how budgets are allocated. Story for another day. So in those techniques, when you get a subject down to the ground, I'm not saying a perp, a criminal, someone that you need to control. It could be a medical emergency. It could be for any number of reasons, but you are controlling this subject at the time. When you get them down to the ground, if there's any feeling like they're trying to get up off the ground, or even if you just have some experience, you should do this anyway, you do what's called a T3. And a T3 is when you put your foot, your shin, your knee, whatever you can get on them, at the T3 vertebrae, just about at the base of the neck. Uh, And you pin that vertebrae to the ground. You are pushing force through T3 straight into the ground. It's very difficult to get up from that. George Floyd was so powerful that he actually was getting up while he was in a T3, which has happened. It's happened to me before. 
um, where, where someone's been able to defeat my T3. <laughs> what they tell you in the academy is one of the dangers with the T3 and a strong non-compliant subject is your foot, your knee, your shin, whatever it is that you're using can slide onto the subject's neck. And they do say this, this is the only thing that someone can say to say, you know what, that could be a piece of evidence. They say, if your foot, your knee, your shin slides on the subject's neck, move it, move it, because that can be dangerous. The danger is not of choke people. The danger is that you can break the, the vertebrae in the neck. Um, it's almost impossible to choke someone doing a T3, by the way. And he's right. saying, I, I can't breathe. <gasps> oh my I gosh. I'm so glad <gasps> you said breathe. that. Because in law enforcement academies all over the nation, they tell you, people say, oh, I'm choking. I can't breathe. Like all you know the time. how you know they can. If you can talk, you can right. breathe. I remember right. my instructor <laughs> saying that. If you can talk, if they're talking to you, right. they're breathing. If they're saying, I... <laughs> Right. Then they can't they breathe. They can't breathe. I asked somebody the other day about this. I said, when was the last time you saw somebody choking in a restaurant who said, I'm choking? I can't <laughs> they didn't tell you they're choking. They're pointing at their neck. And you're trying to guess, what? Are you choking? And you hope they nod their head. Because if you're, yeah, if you can breathe, you can breathe. Yeah. That's it. You can't and, talk. And, um, you know, just to, just to talk about the you know, the use of force, you know, I wasn't a police officer, but I, I worked in the uh, restaurant industry for a long time. And I worked as a bouncer for years. And, uh, you know, it's until you understand what it takes to control a grown man, you, you don't, you may not understand why you might do something that might, that might appear excessive, trying to hold someone down. Because I, I've been in positions where I thought, okay, you know what, I'm going to let this guy up because I'm, I'm worried that I might hurt him. I loosen up, and next thing you know, I'm rolling again on the ground, and it keeps on going. So you have to really control somebody. And um, but as far as uh, when he was on the ground, the one thing I will say, and I, I question, and I've been in positions where I saw something being applied that I didn't feel comfortable with, and I would walk over and tap something, going, "Hey, let that up. That's eh, you feel a little uncomfortable with that one." Because but I, I had that 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 the confidence and you know I to walk over there and say something. Now this officer um, was with three rookies basically that he was training, and so maybe one of them you know looked over and said you know maybe he should move right now. It's been a few minutes. The guy's not moving, but I I think because they were so new, um, they didn't have the confidence to sort of walk up and go hey hey Derek you know why don't you move your leg? He's, he has to move for five minutes. You know move move your leg. So I think that was part of the problem was that he was with three other officers who didn't have confidence, didn't have the experience to step in and say, hey, let's let's change something up here because it's maybe not the best look right now. And eh, he's, he's not moving. It's let's let's check on the guy. So I think it was a those that circumstance that just a, everything came together that, you know, made it turn out the way it did. Um you know, all it would have taken was one experienced officer to be with him to step in and change change what happened there. And we'll be talking about this right now. Dave, I'll do you one better. And this is this is why, and I hope that none of these yahoos are listening. I hope that they try the case the way that they're going to try it and they'll probably lose and he should get off unless it's a kangaroo court. Um, mm -hmm. But well the thing that the officer failed to do, forget about those other people. If it was just him, the continuous monitoring of someone under your control. Anyone there, that yes, you put yes. restraints on is your responsibility. Do you know if you handcuff someone and someone comes and assaults them, stabs them, shoots them, you are culpable just like a getaway driver. Right. 
because right. you have physically restrained them. You've actually taken away part of their ability to defend themselves. So because of that, and even if if the fight's over, you are supposed to be constantly monitoring the the condition of your your detainee. Right. And and that's where my only problem in the, in the entire situation, it wasn't him putting his knee on his neck. That's a control position. It was when you're doing that, like as you point out, you're responsible for his life now and you got to yeah. make sure he's okay. <laughs> and look Constantly. down. He this guy, do this guy's not moving checks. anymore. He's not, yeah. you know, obviously once he died, he wasn't moving. And once you feel that, you, you can feel that the energy from somebody leave when they stop fighting and that pressure lets up. And that's the key to go, okay, let me, let me look over here. What's going on now? And I've been in that same position where I'm going, okay, this person's, okay, let me, let me, oh, okay, well, maybe he's a little, okay. Yeah. Now, of what course, you, what's your concept? you're thinking about that. In your situation, probably like mine, I wasn't surrounded by a mob. Right. Um, and which was he distracted by people saying, what's oh, going I've on? I've been surrounded by a mob on? doing that. <laughs> no, I didn't. <laughs> oh, no, there's been melees breaking out and I'm on the ground and I'm putting somebody in a seatbelt maneuver or uh, yeah. you're, you're, you're amped up. And, and, but you gotta, I've all, I was always aware of the fact that Whatever I did, I was legally responsible for, and I had to make sure that I applied a hold. I didn't. I didn't choke anybody out. I didn't, you know, cause any, any serious injury, and you know, I, I was 100% aware of that because we we hear, all have heard a million bad stories about a bouncer or some security getting carried away and throwing a punch they shouldn't have thrown or applying a choke they shouldn't have you know, applied and holding it too long. And I wasn't be that guy, so I was always thinking about that when I worked to make sure that I wasn't on the news as being some, some knucklehead who, who killed somebody in a bar fight or bar, uh, bar brawl. So. But here's my question. Regardless, so this, this incident went down, uh, and, and where were the responsible people in the community, the responsible people that should have been speaking up to say, let's not let this get out of hand, let's let, let's let justice take its course. Where was the out outpouring of those people from the church, from the government, from everywhere. Where were those people? Why did, did they you, let that take uh, be taken over by the media and Black Lives did Matter? You, did you miss it? Hillary Clinton came out and said, <laughs> she said, you know, this is a good opportunity and a tragedy we can't waste. Well, that's always true. That's always true. But I think that is one of, again, one of our problems with our community. Back down in our communities where we keep thinking that somebody else is going to take care of things or it's just the way it is. We have to start stepping up in our own communities to speak up, to ask for calm, for, to ask for logic, to ask for whatever we need to ask for instead of letting that mob take over, instead of letting the, the, the politics take over from the particular groups of people that want to use it for their purposes. Unfortunately, with, with the George Floyd situation, it was such a perfect, perfect wow. marketing tool for the for the left to that's true. Forward. And I, I, you know, and there was not one Republican who was is brave enough to sit them and just, you know to stand and go, you know what? Let's let's take a measured approach here. No, none of those guys were going to do it, and of course they didn't. They were no. they were absolutely ran for the hills. They were scared. <laughs> here's here's the other elephant in the room. Where's the evidence that the guy's racist? He he killed him right. because he was black. Right. Really? There's your evidence for that. And, and you know, it's also interesting. That guy, um, he was on the police force for a very long time, in the same community for a very long time. I'm sure he has done that same maneuver many, uh, many, yes. many times over on many, many, many black people. <laughs> and and, and nobody died. Nobody died for a decade and a half. So 
it would be a little odd to think that he would manage to not kill off a whole bunch of people. And, and people for seventeen years that um, you know, they say, well, you know, he had these complaints lodged against them. I'm sorry. Everybody does. 17, on the force. Years, Seventeen years. If you don't have complaints lodged against you, you're not doing your job. <laughs> they, they think the criminals are going to write thank you notes. Yes, yes yeah. you're resting. So uh, yeah, hundreds of guys every every you know year. They're they're not going to like you. That's so, crazy. I, people I don't, feel, go, people go don't ahead, understand Pat. police work. They just don't. They people don't. do not understand police work at all, and that's really a shame. Thankless task. Yeah, you know it'll. It will be truly terrible. Um, but if a lot of these good men and women say, you know what? We're done. Yeah, we're going to lay down our badges. We're going to do it for a year and come right. back. Then people will understand what it's like to live somewhere where you actually are responsible for your own safety. Where 911 is is a dispatch center that just records your death. So there's a record of what happened to you. <laughs> well, what's really a shame too, when we talk about uh, black communities that really need the protection of law enforcement, if you scare off those those police officers, they no longer, you're afraid to join the police force because you don't, you don't want to be labeled an Uncle Tom. You don't want to be arrested for something you didn't do and lose your whole career and your family and end up in prison. If you start losing good people to join the police force, you start getting those people that can't actually pass the psych exam, but somehow you let them through because you need bodies on the street. Mm -hmm. So if you want good police officers, you have to treat them well. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, you're going to get lots of interesting characters who are going to be a whole lot worse <laughs> or you're mm -hmm. going to have none. So you have and, to take your uh, pick. And, and just speaking about, you know, what would happen if the cops didn't go to work? Well, as a conservative... Where I live out, out, out in the uh, Eastern Shore, I'm good. I, I, I got my guns. I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that. But it's, it's, it's going to hey, be liberal Dave. women Shh. in the cities who are, you know, at, at risk. It's, it's going to be, you know, our, our you know, um, people in inner, inner city that are going to be, be the ones that are going to be, be victimized. So, you know, conservatives, we're, we're, we, we're doing this for you. We want you guys to be safe as well. That's why we want the police out there. It's not for us, per se. It's for, it's for, uh, you know, others in the society who don't carry guns or believe in guns that need protection. You know, I used to feel that safety, uh, but the strangest thing, it's happened to me, it's happened to many others. I was on this boating trip, you know, which is very plausible because I live in Northern Virginia, 20 minutes from the ocean. I was on this boating trip and we lost all of our guns. What? The craziest thing. Yeah. Huh? Yeah, so so if the NSA is listening, um, all, all those guns, all those guns that I that I may have purchased oh, back in the day, I'm I mean, sorry, certainly they just oh, fell man. off that boat, man. That is I a know. shame. Oh, I used to keep a uh, Daniel defense rifle right right here, and and it's gone. Oh. I can go. Oh. I can see in your house, and I, I do. I, there's nothing there. Nothing. Is there. <laughs> yeah, it keeps happening to good people. <laughs> well, that's good because there's now 50% less guns in the hands of conservatives, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know, where where's the danger? Have governments ever done anything bad in history where the governments were the only ones with guns? Wow, hmm. I think, uh, was Germany? Did that happen in Germany? Uh, you know. But that was different. We're going to do oh, it right. right. Well, you know, we're we're going to do it right Cuba, here. That, Cuba did that, I think, maybe... Uh... Totally different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, I see a pattern here actually developing. 
<laughs> so I, I can't let you guys go without asking. I'm really excited um, for your book, which launches in literally, we're, we're days now. Where are we? We are days, yeah. February 2nd. 10 days, 10 days off, I think, 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. February 2nd is when this book launches. I read the write-up and I loved it. And I think I know, I think I know how you're going to respond here, but you know, was, was Dr. King's dream ever realized? And even if it was or wasn't, how, how's it doing now? Like, where are we headed now? Yeah. Do you hear the size over here? Um, I, 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 go ahead. Yeah. Oh, well, okay. I'm going to start just cause I'm older than you and I started younger than you. Um, before you anyway, um, married a black man in 1979 and I was kind of, you know, I was 23. So, you know, I didn't care what anybody thought. And I just like, yeah, I'm going to get married. I wasn't really paying attention to race. I just was going to get married. And so I married and I did have one uncle who said to me, what about the children? Are you concerned that you'll have biracial children and that'll be more difficult in the society? And again, I was 23. So I said, no, I'm not worried. And, um, then I just went on about my business because I was basically just naive. Uh, but interestingly enough, had the children um, and and raised two biracial children and one, uh, my, I have one son who we adopted, a black son who was adopted when he's age five. So we have one black son and two biracial children. And the kids grew up and I was slightly worried in the beginning. And we talk about this a lot in the book about our feelings during all these different years and the different things that occurred during these years to that started changing things, but really had very little trouble at all. I mean, it was amazing that we kind of didn't experience racism. We just didn't. I mean, I'm not saying there couldn't have been the tiniest thing, but uh, first of all, I was one of these people that um, I don't take everything, you know, what are, what are they called these days? Microaggressions? Everything's a microaggression. Oh, you know, I just read this book. There's a new book out and I'm not going to give the name because it sucks, but it's real popular. And it's two two women who are writing this book and they're, they talk about all the microaggressions. So one of them is they go into the store where a white woman is behind a counter and they ask about a watch and the woman goes, oh, that's a really expensive one. And they're like, give me two. You know, I'm like, okay, the girl behind the counter probably makes it for money. And she's just relating to it in the sense she's like, man, this is an expensive watch. I can't afford this. You know, it wasn't necessarily an anti-black thing. It wasn't necessarily racist except in your own mind. So when I was like with my husband and we were dating and going around, there were people who looked at us uh, because we were a black, white couple. But, you know, they looked at us and I didn't automatically think, oh, they're being racist. I might have thought, First of all, the top thing I think is we look really good. <laughs> you know, we're, we're attractive people. They looking at us because we are gorgeous. That was the first thought. The second thought was, oh, they think it's really neat that we have, and we're an interracial couple, that it's neat. Things are changing. I saw it in a positive way. So because I looked at things that way, I didn't get all bent out of shape about a lot of stuff. Um, and if somebody did have some kind of issues, I just figured they grew up in a place where they, you know, didn't learn too much about another culture and another race. And I treated them nicely. And eventually it, they came around, oddly enough. So we didn't experience that. At least I didn't experience that much of it. And I thought things were going really well as my kids were growing up. I thought, oh, this is good. You know, racism is going away. People are intermarrying. They're, inter, you know, they're dating. I don't have to worry about who my kids marry. They can marry any race they want. I was really pretty happy until Obama showed up on the scene. 
And from that moment on, everything started going downhill. And it was so weird because I'm thinking, you know, finally you do have a biracial president, although he didn't claim it that way very often. But you had a biracial president. You had uh, a black first lady. Uh, they were a good-looking family, you know, and very intelligent, very educated. There they are in the White House. This should have been something that really brought our country forward. I, put, I didn't vote for him. I did not vote for him <laughs> because I did not like what he represented because I had read a lot about what he wrote. However, I was hoping once he got in, okay, this could still be good racially and everything's been going really great up until now. This might just kick it off, you know, finish it up for our country. We're all going to be, we're going we're to have that Martin Luther King Jr. dream. And that didn't go out, didn't go so well after that. Kind of went really downhill. Dave, you take it now. Now, you, now you're born. <laughs> yeah, so. 20 years later. Yeah, so uh, when I look at it, you know, growing up, um, race wasn't that big an issue. Um, and as you pointed out, you know, when Obama came into office, we started, we just basically seemed like we just kind of were going to this positive trajectory, and then we went full stop and just started going backwards again. And it's, it's, it's weird to see that. And that's, that's why it feels like it. Because I think about during the 2000s and during the Bush administration, was race really an issue? I, I really can't think of any major race issue during the Bush administration or even, even the uh, Clinton administration. But somehow, right around, you know, around Trayvon Martin, when that happened, that's where everything started moving backwards. But, but to answer your question about uh, you know, Martin Luther King's dream, um, there is no such thing as perfection. If we think that we're going to legislate things until we have this, this nirvana of racial equality, uh, it's never going to happen. What we can do is give everybody at least, you know, equal opportunity under the law. And I think we have that for the most part. And, and I would even point out now that uh, it's even working against white people to a certain extent. So we, we can't legislate um, perfection. Um, it would never be perfect. We can have a pretty good society. And that's where that's what we seem to have been moving toward and then stop somewhere in 2011. And uh, that's my frustration. And as far as, you know, you're, you're talking about um, microaggressions and being a person of color and, and experiencing racism, um, one thing that bothers me, and, and I see this a lot, and you can probably speak to this as well, Joe, is that there's a certain anger that we, I see with, with people my age, and even actually younger now, um, other, other black men who have this anger about them. They're looking for a fight. They're looking for a reason to be to be angry, uh, looking looking for a reason to take offense. And so much of your reality is based off of your own your own energy. If you give off a lot of negative energy, you're going to get that back. And it may not be racially motivated. It just may be that you're giving off bad energy, and people feel that, and that's why they scowl at you, or you know, walk away from you, or you know, cross cross this cross the sidewalk and because they want to avoid you. Maybe and you're just an asshole, right? You, you might just be a jerk. And I, I see <laughs> that. And, uh, you know, from my experience, you know, I've been in situations as a black guy where I thought maybe somebody could have been a little prejudiced. But for me, I, that's an opportunity. I walk over. Hey, how are you? Shake your hand. Force you into a conversation. Make you like me. Maybe change somebody's mind and maybe change their outlook. So I, I've, you know, we can always, you know, fight to improve race relations. And I want us to do it like, MLK did with with kindness, with compassion, with love, and what I see from black people today, 
in this, this current Black Lives Matter movement is they're coming from it from a point of view of anger and just destruction and just and, and I revenge. Don't positive and, and, and revenge. revenge. And that's mm-hmm. not going to make anything better. All it does is make people angry. And if you're a white person who's not racist, who's done everything right, and now you feel like you're being called a racist despite having never done anything racist in your life, you start getting angry. And then everything gets polarized. And that's what we're seeing right now. Everything's getting more and more polarized. And that only ends up one way with the fight. And that's where I feel we're heading right now. And that's, that's, that's my problem. Yeah. Yeah, I would, I would say exactly how Pat described. I would say that the civil rights movement, those were the, the people of integrity and that we needed. And after the Civil Rights Act, things really started getting better. Not immediately. I'm not saying 65, 68, 70 weren't, you know, couldn't be dangerous times for black people. But man, I I grew up in the 90s and the 2000s and there was nothing. There was nothing that I couldn't achieve. Um, Obviously, President Obama, there was nothing that he couldn't achieve. Um, We've got CEOs, generals, surgeon generals until they get fired by um, <laughs> by an, an old an old career politician. But again, story for another day. But here's the the problem: we've retrogressed so much, um, and I see that we're going to have to relaunch again. So I'll say this: we'll relaunch, and you guys will get the last question. But we've retrogressed because of this. Mm. I, I I did an episode, and I put out that children's books know more about civil rights and Martin Luther King um, than the typical leftists. And I read, you, you guys get all the extras. I have this oh, yeah. children's book on my oh. desk of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and Adventure and Courage. These, these are pop-up books. That's how much of a child's oh. book this is. But it talks about his upbringing, his parents, and, and what him, <clears throat> him and other civil rights leaders did. And we're talking like 12 pop-up book freaking pages. And everyone knows it. A dream where my children and my children's children will be judged by the content of their character, not the color of their skin. Well, here's the thing. We had that. We achieved that. We're getting you guys, you guys described it very well. And you know what? You know who's killing that? Who's causing the retrogression? These leftists, because now it's gone. And the reason that it's gone, the reason that people are being judged by the color of their skin is because we are told we can look at a white person and say, you're racist. Well, why are they racist? Because they're white. Okay. So because of the color of their skin. And and, uh, um, and to give a, a sort of a foundation for how this happens, um, I always like to point out Marxism as, you know, Marxism in, is by definition is a revolutionary philosophy. And in this country, um, we don't have the conditions of, say, 1917 Russia, where they have the, the end of the World War I and the workers and the industrialization. And that which was in, and we know the workers in Russia were the, the, the vanguard of the, of the Bolshevik Party against the monarchy and the, and the provisional government. But in the United States, we have a different condition. We have, we don't have that background, but we have a racial past. So when when the when the, these leftists uh, and Marxists or Leninists, we want to call them, came up with a strategy to figure out how can we create a movement in this country that's revolutionary that can crack crack the foundation what this country is. They said, "Well, it's race. That's our vehicle." So race, it's, it's, so it's, a, it's a formula. It's a formula, 
And so racial politics is uh, is the tool of the neo-Marxist state in the United States to destroy our destroy this system we have here to rebuild it. And uh, so yeah, it's it's, it's a Trojan horse. Is we they call it racial equality, but it's actually inside of it, it's revolutionary Marxism. And Pat, you had a thought. <laughs> Well, you know, I, I love it when David goes in. He's been, he's studied so much history. Uh, it just always amazes me. He always has something new to tell me about how all these things fit together. I'm kind of a, you know, I'm a criminal profiler, and I'm kind of a, just a straightforward uh, kind of a. I, I don't go as much depth that he goes into, um, and I just love to hear that because it really he, this he is the nailed kind of, it. it. It's absolutely. a formula. It's been yeah, and this done is the before. Kind of, and this is the kind of information that I think. Our, our country, our citizens need to be far more educated on because they're seeing such surface stuff. And if they don't get it at the surface and they never get what's underneath the surface, they'll never understand why we're in the situation we're in today. And as, as David points out, Dave points out, there's there's been years and years and years of Marxist you know, inroads into our society, into almost every aspect of our society. And now people don't recognize it as Marxism at all. They don't even see it as that. They just think it's progressivism, you know. So they have a new word for it, and they think it's, oh, it's all about love and helping other people. And they don't know what it's actually going to do to destroy our society. Because not only is it about race, it's about uh, the entire uh, the fabric of our society. Oh, and, the 1619 six, Project, got. by definition, oh, yeah. you know, basically saying the entire foundation of this country is, 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 is Ill- illegitimate. Well, that's <laughs> quite exactly. You know, that, that's a revolutionary sort of idea because if you believe that, Marxist you're ploy. yeah, it's, it's a Marxist mm-hmm. ploy. And uh, my frustration is that you know, not enough people, like you say, understand where this is coming from. You know, we we can uh, you know we can cut the hair, but if we don't pull out the root, it's going to keep growing back. You know, and so people have to understand what Marxism is. And unfortunately, it's, it's, I think it's difficult to educate people on that. It's, it's a complicated topic. And of course, mm-hmm. the left, left, as soon as you say Marxist, they, they flip out. What they hate more than anything in the world, a Marxist, is to be called a Marxist because they don't want that to be known. So they, they go, oh, I'm not a Marxist. No, 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 no. I, I, I'm not against all capitalism. Well, you're, you're, just, you're, you're just hedging right now until you can do what you want, really want when, you know, which is to line everybody up and <laughs> shoot us all. You know what's interesting? This is something, um, and Dave, you mentioned the diversity uh, culturally, but also diversity of thought on the right. This is something that doesn't exist on the left. You won't see it on any other shows and any other podcast. In the course of our conversation, we just met for the first time and all of us have spoken and all of us have hit on at least two or three points that we disagree about. Either two of us or all three of us. Mm. And that's fine. That's allowed. There's no name calling and there's no, well, I don't know now. You're not a true rightist because uh, you, you, you know, uh, what do you mean? You, you know, the, the well, officer you, is always innocent or the, it's just absurd. Well, well that's just, uh, that's just we're, both, we're all very intelligent. That's really the reason for that, you know. You know, the dialectic method, you know, we have to have the discussions to, you know, discover the truth and learn, you know. If you're not open to that, you're never, never going to learn anything. 
Well, you know, that's what's kind of missing. Whatever happened to, remember debate, the real, the real kind of debate that they used to have where you had to understand both sides. You had to take, you had to change positions so that you could fight, you could argue the other side. And when you had shows that debate actually meant getting into uh, the depth of, of the, the issues as opposed to just attacking each other. So I think we've lost that art of, of debate and conversation and discussion. That's yes, kind of flown out the window. No one has the monopoly on the truth. No one does. So if you think you do, you've already prevented yourself from ever learning anything ever again. And that, yeah. I find that to be pointless. Yeah. Uh, another big problem, and like you said, Pat, uh, I keep wanting to call you Patty because I, I deal <laughs> oh, with don't the do lady. That. I deal with the woman named Patty <laughs> all the time. Um, that was my and- childhood nickname, and I hated it then. And uh, I've been Pat for a very long time, and it's been it's been a nice little easy name, Pat Brown. Pat Brown is just easy to say because my maiden name was a long German name, and it would have been terrible for television. But stay with Pat. I knew you were a Nazi. No. Ah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> oh my well, that's, goodness! That's, that's one of the funny things, actually, because my father comes from a Jewish family. They were the last Jews out of Germany, of course, um, yeah. and we lost relatives in the concentration camps. And I've had people call me a Nazi, and I'm like, um, probably not. Yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, you may jump to that conclusion, but you know, my father was an interesting person because when when we got, I got to be 16 years old, he couldn't wait to take my, uh, me and my sisters back to Germany to show us Germany because he still loved Germany. He didn't hate Germany just because it was a bad, bad people in power. He didn't hate all the Germans. And I really, that taught me a lot that, you know, you can go, you can have a bad past. Like there's no question slavery sucked. I mean, and nobody thinks slavery was a great thing, but to, to live hating people because of slavery is a sad thing. And to hate, to hate all Germans because you're Jewish is a sad thing. So I think when you realize that you, the past, people are human and across the world, uh, if you look at all the histories of, 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 of humankind, pretty much everybody was beating up everybody and torturing each other. I, so I think not- that's, yeah, that's an important point. And that's something I, I try to point out as well as, you know, obviously in America, we focus on slavery. And of course, we, we, you know, that was obviously a huge thing here. But if you go around hey, the world, they had slavery in every civilization yeah. in the world, and they still do. And you know who ended it for the first time in the history of the world? Freaking the United States. Well, there but, you go. I mean, go ahead, Dan. <laughs> but no. Being um, is that uh, across the world, there were there were people who were white who had terrible, terrible lives that were oppressed and under monarchy. Um, there was there was laws they had to pass in England in the uh, late nineteenth century to prevent eight year old kids from working eighty hour work weeks. That's how bad it was to be a, a, a white kid in England. It was an eighty hour work week carrying coal out of a mine. I mean, there were some terrible things happening to people um, of all colors. So yes, black people in this country dealt with slavery, but we don't have a a, a you know we weren't the only people who suffered. A lot of people suffered, and so. You have to take that real view and go, things were bad in a lot of different places. They're much better now. And thank God they are. And thank God we're born in the United States because there's, there's, no, there's no better place in the world. And we're, we're, every day is, is a blessing to be in the United States. That's, that's the way I feel about it. I couldn't agree more. You know, I, I lied. I said uh, we'd get to the last question. But <laughs> what you had we have mentioned... One more? What you so you got two more now? What you, uh, Dave? What you were mentioning about um, uh, not socialism about uh, Marxism mm-hmm. triggered something that I heard recently. Read a long time ago. Reheard. I think Mussolini said 
that this this ties in with big tech and what what's going on with corporate America with with private companies pushing these critical race theory policies, these these woke policies, and how that marries with the government. Well, again, if you guys know about history, I'm talking to the listeners here, uh, and and say this stuff with your colleagues, your friends, your family on the other side. You know, there's nothing new under the sun. Mussolini, who knew something about being a dictator, all right, Benito Mussolini. If you don't know who that is, you know, press pause, Google him. <laughs> he, he did he, he did a thing overseas. Uh, but anyway, he said that fascism at its core is the marriage of corporations and the government. And doesn't that sound like something that we have going on right now with big tech oligarchs? Because they're oligarchs at this point and with these private companies that are huge and the inroads they have with the United States government and with foreign governments. Anyway, so Dave, what do you got? Or Pat, what do you got? I kind of, uh, I look at it sort of as being the, uh, the Chinese model. China has capitalism, they have billionaires, and they have a, a totalitarian government. And they work glove in hand. They're, they're one and the same, those two things. And when those two things combine, you're, you're screwed. And so as you're pointing out today here in, this, in our country um, with, with uh, Facebook and, and Twitter, um, they're essentially the arm of the Democrat Party or better put the establishment, which is obviously the uniparty. And you can attack free speech without the government doing it directly by using private companies to attack free speech. Um, Jack Dorsey, you know, uh, Mark Zuckerberg, they, they know a lot of their ability to operate is depends on certain laws not being passed or being passed that could influence them. And of course, we know that there's backroom conversation going on between Democrats, staffers, and people from Facebook and Twitter to do certain things. And if, if you don't think they're co- not coordinated, <laughs> well, I, I can't help you then. They're absolutely coordinated. And so, like you say, you have a fusion between the private sector and government, and that, that's fascism. wild that you know people think that we're making this up as, as if this hasn't happened before ah. all right well guys i can't thank you enough for being on the show i've really enjoyed our conversation we do have one last question um i'll, I'll send it out to both of you now okay. because of the question only one of you can answer your own book uh, but the question is if you could get everyone on earth to read and understand one book apart from a prescriptive religious book. So, you know, all Christians would say the Bible, all, all Muslims would say the Quran. Uh, so apart from those official religious texts, what book would you choose and why? Everyone on earth read and understand if you could just snap your fingers and only one of wow. you can pick your own book. <laughs> so, or we'll say, we'll say that that book's a given. So definitely okay. everyone go out and get it, order it now. It releases on... February 2nd, which is, what do we got? 10, 11 days. And again, you pre-order, it shows up either in your Kindle or it shows up on your doorstep without thinking. So go ahead and order it. You know, no reason to wait, right? And again, that book is Black and White, How the Left is Destroying the Dream of Martin Luther King Jr. and Our Founding Fathers. Order it today. You won't regret it. Uh, So back to you guys. Snap Mm. your fingers. What does everyone know? Wow. Oh, it's so difficult because, I mean, I, I'm a person that I really like great literature. 
Um, and, you know, there, there's a small segment of great literature that I really think is fabulous. I'm going to say one that probably nobody will want to read, but Moby Dick. I absolutely loved Moby Dick. And it's a huge book and it's an old book. And when I decided I would try to read it, I thought, why the heck do I want to read this? Because it's about a, a dude on a, on, a, on, a, on a boat that just keeps sailing through the ocean chasing a whale. And they talk a lot about whales. And it sounded just kind of not fun. <laughs> and it was one of the most fascinating books I ever read because it really gets into human nature. And it, 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 it d- describes a kind of an entire mentality of human beings under trying conditions and what they're willing to do and and why they're why they will pursue what they pursue it's kind of a study a psychological study or study of human beings and i don't think probably anybody really many people will want to read it but if you have read some uh more difficult books i would highly recommend it it was i wasn't bored by the book and i just thought it was one of the most interesting books of a study of man that i've ever read yeah, I I agree. Ever I, read I, I Moby Dick? Did you I, read Moby Dick? I I did, and it's actually it's on one really? of the bookshelves. It's not the um, bridge version, is it? <laughs> it's no, it's a huge. You know, it's a what's smaller a, whale. It's a smaller whale. You know what's a, a bigger book. book that I I can't get through? Um, while I was in the army, I was trying to get through Once an Eagle, and that's like the only oh. book that I can think that rivals the, the size. Uh, oh. And I I didn't get through it. I had to switch to audiobook. Um, and you know, it's just like you said, Moby Dick is very engaging. Um, people say page turner too often. It's a page turner. Yeah, but it, it has doldrums, you know, because when you're out in that ship, you just sit in the water. Sometimes you don't move for days and days and days. And during that point in time in the book, you actually feel like you're stuck in that ship with them. So it has a very strange kind of rhythm to the book, but it's just... I can't, I, I don't know if I can do any justice explaining. It's one of those things where you'd have to, it's an adventure you have to go read it to see what it's telling us about the human condition. Because that's what it's about. It's about the human condition, not I, any place in the world particularly. I agree in what you're describing. You know, there's nothing new under the sun is, is obviously from the Bible. But what goes on in that book and what you're describing is it doesn't, it's not an action movie. It doesn't skip through the seasons of life. There are, there are valleys and there are mountaintops and sometimes you're out in the wilderness. And instead, you know, Melville doesn't avoid that and just give you the, the action movie. Uh, I would hate to see a Moby Dick movie made now. I think there actually is a pretty good one. Gregory Peck. Well, not, not made now. It's to, uh, to yeah, see. 1950s Gregory Peck. Yeah, yeah. If if they made one in 2021, it would be, you know, there'd be. But there actually was another one. uh, Was more recent. It was actually quite good. I have to. I will actually say that. So, but but the book is it's different. You can enjoy a movie and get something out of it, but sometimes the book is where the depth is. I mean, I think that's that's what we miss when we don't do uh, books. Well, to stay on that thing, and if I take one. Uh oh, Dave. Dave, you're having uh, you're having the mic problems. uh, Oh, am I back? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Like I I said, uh, yeah, I would go with uh, the Sea Wolf by Jack London. Oh, Sea Wolf. Yes. It's a which again, it's a it's it's about human human um, human behavior. It's a a psychology. It's a kind of mirrors. Moby Dick in a way, but uh, 
yeah, that's one. That's one of my favorite books, The Sea Wolf. Now that one I'm not familiar with, so I'm. Here and what now. is your favorite? What, what do you recommend? <laughs> so I have, so I have know, something new to read. I, I've like? gotten out of this so much. You're the, you're the first. Uh, if you could believe this, I've, I've done tons of interviews at this point. Uh, you're the first one to ask. It's always changing. What what I would want, man. It's a toss up. It's a toss up right now. And so I'll I'll cheat because the second book is the first books and author's predecessor. Um, but Atlas Shrugged, uh, Atlas Shrugged oh, by Ayn Rand. Yeah, I, which people, one? Atlas Shrugged, Atlas Ayn Shrugged, Rand. Okay. Um, and Fountainhead. I think that's the other one. No, the other one. <laughs> you you guys are getting all of the the visuals here. Maybe I will switch to Zoom. Shout out for Zoom. Equal, um, uh, Equal is unfair by. Uh, Yaron Brook and uh, Don Watkins. Don Watkins might be a doctor, so don't call me a potentially doctor Don Watkins. Uh, but yeah, America's misguided fight against income inequality uh, because equal yeah. is unfair. You know, uh, if Pat works mm-hmm. more hours than Joe, then Pat should get more. Well, yeah. <laughs> or, uh, you know, that LeBron James very, is, very is taller. Yeah, LeBron James is taller and much more athletically uh, inclined than I am. Should we get the same spot on the basketball team? Of course not. That wouldn't be fair. The the inequality in our physical ability, not just because of the work that he puts in, but also his genetics. He's freaking huge. Uh, so, well, nature's know. not fair, is it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And yeah, so the the thing is. Equal's not fair. It's not. So great book. Uh, and and the way the, the great equalizer, of course, is capitalism. Um, you, you get into life what you put in. There's nothing that can stop someone from being successful. Period. Not in this country. Uh, At least not yet. We'll see. Yeah. But wait, you haven't asked Fingers me what crossed. the worst book of the I've read recently is. Oh, yeah. Let's hear it. And I think it's it's had a lot of done a lot of damage to our society. So I do want to bring this one up: White Uh-oh. Fragility. White Fragility. I, I knew that it. Horrible book. <laughs> and we we do address that in our book. We address we have a whole chapter on White Fragility and the, the how insane it is and all the nonsense that it, that comes with it. But one of the things that's really done, which is dreadful is that it's actually infiltrated into all our corporations where they now have all this training based on the white don't, fragility don't issue. I know so, so not only did that woman make a whole lot of money off that dreadful book, but it's it's like poison in our country. So, so Pat, you know, I, I told you two years law enforcement, 11 years military, I've, I've put on the uniform of service and can I just say thank you guys for your service because I have not read that book. I took Ben Shapiro's advice. He said, "Don't read it." <laughs> Don't read Don't that book. He, he said, "I will tell you all the salient points." Here's here's my problem with it. You you guys ready? You lefties that are listening, ready? Hold on, hold on. Get get got your, a visual here? your your handkerchief ready. Okay. So we used to value like you you guys are already hit on this. Um, you know, diversity of thought, being able to come together and have a real debate. And when you have a real debate where you need to actually have a depth of understanding and consider what the other person's saying and not debunk the person, but debunk the validity of the argument. Um, I feel just like Larry Elder on this. I've been called every name in the book, but you know what I haven't been called? I haven't been called wrong 
on the basis <laughs> of my arguments not being valid. Mm. Wow. So part of that is fallacies, guys. If you, We need to know and understand fallacies. We don't have to become philosophers. We don't have to become students of the great uh, philosophers. Great if that's you. I, I really enjoy that stuff. It's dry reading. I love it. <laughs> I, I tear it up. But basic fallacies, guys, self-defeating argument. A white woman wrote a book all about how white people don't know anything about racism, prejudice, about struggling. And in her own book, she says, if a white person tells you anything about inequality, about racial injustice, or et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, it's false. They don't know anything. That's a classic self-defeating argument. Well, she yeah. negated her own book, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Her book is full of crap. And you know what? Good job, Robin D'Angelo. That's one <laughs> point that I can agree with. You're but full you, of crap. But do you know, I have a friend, um, and he, he works for a governmental agency. They actually made them take a class, and that was the book they had to read for their training class. And yeah. I, think more, I think more people ought to just say, I'm not. I'm not going to read this crap. You can't make me read this crap. I'm and not you know going to what sit they here should do? and discuss this crap. They should say no. And when they get fired, they should sue. Absolutely. And, I like that. Maybe, maybe that's in my future because, you know, we, we, we talked about. Are you, you know, planning to sue or are you going well, to be they, the one doing it? Yeah. Biden just reinstated that, that uh, the uh, ban on, I guess, uh, what, what the Trump ban he, um, he banned critical race theory right, right, in, there is, yes. in oh, schools yeah. and in um, government. government contractors and government agencies, uh, which obviously applies to my work. So now it's it's going to shift back, and you know that that day is probably coming where you know my well, you su- know. my supervisors know where I stand, and because when George Floyd happened, and I was asked a question in public forum, and I gave you know an honest answer. Oh, said hey, <laughs> this this racism stuff is full of crap. But, but Joe, I have to point out one thing before we end, because this is what we don't realize how difficult it is. When I did the, the had the issue with Meetup, um, and I got, I was discriminated against by Meetup under the Civil Rights Act of 1964, public accommodations. Uh, I had, the case was very strong because I've been, because they wrote to me, literally wrote to me. And I have all the emails that they wrote from from uh, from Meetup that said black people can black people can have a group and not, not not let you come. They actually wrote this in all their emails. So I had a great case. I went to a private lawyer and he agreed with me. The case was great. We looked up all the, the law and all that stuff pertaining to it. The grace the the case was almost open and shut. Proof there. Do you know I could have never been able to take that to court because I've never been able to get. ACLU obviously said no. <laughs> They're not going to do it. I could not get any conservative legal firm to represent me because it, it, there's not a lot of money in it, right? So I can't I do a contingency thing. There's just no money in it. I, I didn't, you know, they're not going to pay out for me. So it's going to be, a, it's, a, it's a moral issue and it's a legal issue and it's a constitutional issue, but it's not a, a money issue. So I can't afford to pay for a lawyer to to take this to court. And I can't get a contingency lawyer because they make no money. So I went to look for a conservative law group that would represent me in this case. And I thought they would grab this case. And do you know, I have never gotten a response back from one conservative legal group, not one. 
I, Why is that? I have some experience and I have an answer for you. Oh, um, good. And it, it, it's based on on legal truth, not, you know, this isn't just Joe, Joe Mobley opinion. This is this is a, mm-hmm. uh, a letter of law and uh, precedence. So there are two issues. One of the issues is that you're white. That's it. That's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yep. and it sucks, but I'm in a much better place to bring a case like that. This you know? is but true. They'll, they'll be like, well, he's straight and Christian and he married the mother of his children and they didn't have sex till they got <laughs> married. So obviously uh-huh. he's an oppressor, but you know, uh, the optics of it, um, how, how loud and visible right. you can be, uh, as an older white woman, it just stinks. It's funny you said that because um, we had a radio interview with Ben Shapiro and he, and he said to me, what do we do to um, fight against this new racism? And one, my my main point was there's going to be people like me and you, people of color who are conservative. We have to be the ones at the front screaming because if you're a white person, they can just dismiss you. And now that being said, they do their, they they try very hard to just just me and you. Um, (laughs) They try, you know, as I've, I've, I found my personal life, if, you know, they want to hear your opinion as, as a black person until a conservative, and then they, they quickly want to shoot you away. And they, they don't know quite how to deal with you. So it's going to take people like me and you, who are conservative people of color, to really uh, lead this fight and uh, try to encourage people who are white, who are friends and family, to say, you're not a racist. You're allowed to speak up to. I got your back. If they call you racist, yeah. I'll, I'll come over to you and put my, my arm around your shoulder and go, no, he's not racist. I agree with them. And uh, we, we have peers. <laughs> we have, you know, giants to stand on their shoulders. We have the Larry Elders and the mm. Thomas Howells of the world. But we also have, you know, obviously my platform is smaller, but in, in terms of generations, uh, Officer Tatum, uh, Candace Owens, uh, so mm. many other people that I, I'm going to forget. Um, but there are people... You know, I'm right, so right glad. I'm so glad that Blexit and and Red Pill right. is is a movement because it needs but my to happen. Po- my point was, we need more legal people. So, because if the legal people are going to allow uh, uh, violations of the Civil Rights Act all over the place, and we're seeing more and more of this, they're going to allow it simply because the person that the, yeah, I'm, is white. I was That's a problem. We need to, to level that, that out. I was going to get to that. The the money piece is a problem. And the reason that these attorneys and these groups aren't getting back to you is because of your stake in the case. Some some state laws call it equity, but I think across the board, federally, they call it a stake in the case. You've you've dealt with this in your career, I'm sure. So it 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 would have been better if you were an employee of Meetup where we can and your your grievance actually went to the big pot of money that that organization has or you know right. i'm thinking consulting firms i'm thinking huge tech firms when it starts happening basically with their employees and their employees are being let go on the basis right. of their being conservative or the that basis might of be them helpful. being yeah, um, right. you know so on the day that i get fired because i'm black and i say to other people <laughs> there is no institution in the united states that's racist and i get let go because of that um, which I'm going to insist that there's an incident report. I'm going to insist that everything is documented. Uh, then my stake in the case is different. You were a right. user, and the the there was it's a high percentage. Even though your civil rights were violated, there's a high percentage in court that the judge could say 
there was a reasonable path of recourse because you don't have to use this platform. You can use dozens of other platforms. So basically they're saying that if a black person goes to a, a club and they're turned out, turned away because they're black, that's okay because there's other black clubs, right? They, that's, they wouldn't that's, say, they wouldn't a, say this, that because that of the way. opposite. No, of course <laughs> and this is the interesting thing because it's exactly the same reason we have the Civil Rights Act of 1964, public accommodations because blacks yeah. were turned away from hotels and clubs and, and whatever they were turned away from, being told that they could just go where black people hang out. And this is now what it's, white people are being told. It's a double you just, standard. Yeah, it is. But somebody has to stand up for that double standard and say, look, I mean, especially when it wasn't a he said, she said, I had it in writing. Mm -hmm. And so it was a great case. But I just think, generally speaking, nobody wants to touch it because it's just they're not ready to fight for again for white people when they're it's racism against them because that's still considered not so much a big deal. You know, and, so I think and, uh, we have to that's change true. that. Concept. Black black mm -hmm. people need to get in in uh, relationships with these law firms and it stinks because I don't want to be a litigious person, but that is one of the fronts that we have to fight on. We have to play the hand that we're dealt. Yeah, well, it's going to be, I think we're going to see what you're talking about. When we see people not being able to get jobs because of their race and the race happens to be white, when it's said that we don't want we don't want uh it's, it's we can't hire a white person here then we have that's more possibility when it becomes a hiring issue so i think that is going to be a better place to push that but still it's just a shame you know it's a shame that something can be that blatant and it's like no big deal like i said you can go elsewhere you can go find all those white people <laughs> go nuts. hang out with the white people <laughs> the funny <laughs> thing like, is Whoa. even if we were successful in resegregating because we're stupid and we're resegregating you know <laughs> which which organizations are going to be doing worse the freaking all black ones because getting lent to harvard when you're actually not smart enough it it's not not only is it not right, it's not right to everyone else who worked hard, but it's not right to you because it's to your detriment. You get that project manager job, you get that law job, you are not on that level, you're not going to be successful and you're going to fail. But you can't get fired, so that's okay. Yeah, you won't get fired, but you won't thrive. <laughs> you you're just going to exist. And, you know, well, the difference... Yeah. People can't exist in that just existence state. It's, a, it's, a going, to be, it's going to be a hard fight because because it's where people's comfort level is right now. It's the comfort level right now is to say, we got to make everything easy for a person who is black. And, and even, and that's what white people will say. We, we have to make up for all the wrongs and regardless, we've got to make up for it. And that's where the country's at. So we are losing that character thing and going straight, straight to color. And it's going to have a long-term terrible effect. And I'm, I'm concerned that we're going toward apartheid and, uh, and that's a, that's frightening to me to think we're going to be an apartheid type of country at some point where simply we do not associate with people of other races. And, of course, the people in between, look what happened to them in South Africa, right? Mm-hmm. Ma'am. Yes, if there's an example. You know, it's... I. This is another thing I say. People that know me are tired of me saying it, but we can't treat... Yeah, slavery was an injustice, it was. And every civilization was built on the back of, of slaves. Blacks in Africa enslaved people to, to make their civilization. But we can't treat it, that injustice with another injustice. That's not going to work. 
it makes it makes no sense. I say that becomes There's revenge as opposed to moving a tit into for the tat sort of thing. That's yeah. what I feel like you know a tit for tat thing. Like I'm getting back at you, and uh, that's yeah, that's not productive. Not at all. All right. Well, thanks so much, Pat and Dave Brown. Uh, son and daughter, not husband and wife. People, stop, stop making son, that confusion. No. Uh, oh, oh yeah. son and daughter. <laughs> Mother and son. Mother and son, yes. Mother, yes. I did so well on the intro. Yeah, it's like, yeah, somebody said that we had our pictures together. Like, oh, you know, Pat and Brown, they're a couple. And I'm like, oh, we're not a couple. Maybe there's a little Photoshop on my picture to make it look like Huckabee, but no. <laughs> we're definitely not. So, but, uh, All right, so yeah, lots uh, of... Great book recommendations. Uh, we've got The Sea Wolf. We've got Moby Dick. But what's the most important people or the most important book for people to get? Absolutely Black and White by Pat Brown and Dave Brown. Because a lot of what we have in the book, there's a lot of humor, a lot of fun stories in the book. But it's also just letting people who have not experienced a a particularly maybe a black experience or a white experience or a biracial experience. And all the, through all those years, they'll see how things have changed, things that they probably never even knew happened. And they're only living in today going, how did we get here? This book will start and bring a lot of that information in. And I think they're going to really enjoy the book. So it's, I say it's a lot of, it's a lot of information, but it's also a lot of fun. So we, we try not to bore our readers. <laughs> well, thank you guys for being on the show. Thank you, Joe. Thank so you great. for standing up for, uh, not just conservative, but American values and and putting your name on it in a major way, writing a book. Um, I'm super excited to see where you guys go. I'm also excited to have that drink sometime. And oh, absolutely. I'll, have, I'll be have, tracking you down. And we want to be back on the show so we can do a good interview of you next time. So <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll put you on the spot. Yeah. <laughs> All right. We loved Thanks it. We so had a great much. time. Thanks, Joe. Thank you. All right. Thank you to the All listeners. Right. Okay. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed this episode of The Joe Mobley Show. Remember to subscribe and make sure you don't miss out on future content. You can always show your support by leaving a review or making a financial contribution by going to thejoemobleyshow.com and hitting support the show. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. To him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. If that was the first prayer you've ever prayed, I hope it won't be the last. Until next time, this is The Joe Mobley Show.